Welcome again to another episode of lifeiswonderful.love podcast, where we talk about recovery, emotional intelligence, and healing. Do you want to live your best life? (laughs) Of course you do. Your EQ is your IQ. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Rich R. in Florida. How are you doing this morning? Very good, Hugo. Thank you for having me. All right. Why don't you start off and tell the audience one thing you love? One thing I love is God. And I actually use the word Jesus. And it's really the whole Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then I'm only allowed one thing, but I got to squeeze my wife in there somehow. We've been married almost 54 years, so I love her too. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Let's uh, first jump into uh, the first question. You work two programs. Tell the audience the importance of working both programs. And if you have multiple, you know, since, since you have multiple addictions in state, what you like and don't like about the programs. Sure. Um, so my recovery started in 1990. And I went to my first AA meeting. And the first AA meeting, I was still hungover from the night before. It was it was like the worst day of my life. And uh, what I was welcomed with was a spirit of recovery, of actually laughter. They were they were laughing. I heard the laughter coming from the AA room before I actually got in there. It was upstairs. And I thought, well, that can't be an AA meeting. I've never been to an AA meeting, but it can't be laughter in the AA meeting. They were laughing uncontrollably. And I thought after a while, I thought, I think they're drinking, but they were laughing because they weren't drinking. (laughs) They didn't have to drink anymore. They were free at last. And so that, that spirit of recovery in AA is so strong and I still get it no matter what meeting I go to. There's a, there's a bunch of people feeling happy, joyous, and free. And that's really desirable. But what went wrong with the AA meeting is I realized quickly that alcohol was just one of many symptoms of my underlying issues and that I had other things that were at least as bad as alcohol. And I was talking about them in the AA rooms. I was talking about gambling. I was talking about smoking. I was talking about overeating. And AA, this is what's wrong with AA, in my opinion, anyway, they have a very narrow focus. They just singleness of purpose. They talk about AA. And I was basically told to shut up about those other things. I was told, get a sponsor, work the 12 steps, and all these other symptoms will go away as well. Well, I'm a little hard-headed, and I thought, I think I'll do it my way. So I went off after three months and joined Gamblers Anonymous. And Gamblers Anonymous is a completely different program because there's no substance involved other than the internal substance that you generate when you're at a high of gambling. Um, And it was a completely different cast of characters, too. There's something unique about this very small percentage of people who gamble compulsively. So, but I couldn't stop gambling by going to AA meetings. I heard somebody say, going to AA, trying to fix another problem, is like going to the dentist expecting to get a haircut. I mean, the AA is good for what it does. It works on alcohol. It's very effective, in my opinion, anyway, for most people, not everybody, but for most people. But I needed individual programs to deal with individual symptoms. So after GA, I joined Nicotine Anonymous and I stopped smoking. After that, I was gaining weight. I joined Overeaters Anonymous and I stopped overeating. So each of those 12-step programs is uh, the unique asset is it really helps you to stop that particular symptom. 
Um, what's wrong with all the 12 step programs is in my opinion, is they really emphasize or overemphasize your clean date. Um, especially in GA, everybody talks about the date of their last bet as if that indicates some period of uh, recovery, which it doesn't. It just indicates the date you stop betting. You may or may not have gone on to do some recovery. So I joined another program. I'm kind of compulsive when it comes to joining programs. I joined Smart Recovery, which is independent of the addiction, and it's it's not a uh, spiritual program. It's a secular program. I don't have any problem with spiritual programs, but I was looking for something else. And Smart Recovery deals with cognitive behavioral therapy, and it has a lot of really good tools to address some of the stinking thinking and the emotional problems. So I hope that answers your question. But uh, I, in my experience, it's been best to use multiple programs for multiple addictions. Now, I'm glad you brought all that up. Uh, you brought up a lot of things. Uh, well, since you brought up, because I, I look at all different aspects of recovery. Because to me is is when someone walks in the door, their number one issue is not the alcohol, the gambling, or the addiction. I mean, that's the first thing that's that's right in front of their face. In essence, they come in with low self-esteem, with insecurities, with depression, anxiety, you know, so many other emotional issues. That's why they say it's an emotional disease. You brought up smart recovery. I, I do enjoy just like anything you know whether it's any program i like the fact that they you know that they look at recovery from a different point of view tell me one thing though about smart recovery the one thing that i disagree with them and some other these other people that push other programs is when they really get so focused on saying that addiction is not an emotional disease because I believe that's one of the tenets of smart recovery. They don't really talk of saying like, you really don't have a disease. We got to just help with, you know, a lot of the emotional stuff, behavioral stuff and urges and that stuff. Can you ask, can you answer that? Sure. Uh, it's, it's a very good question too, because they do tend, in my opinion, to overemphasize cognitive behavioral therapy and the thinking problems, the rational problems. So they, they have a lot to do with distorted thinking and, and all that's very helpful. But they do focus on emotions also. There are four points to SMART versus our 12 uh, steps. The first point is um, building uh, motivation. Uh, the second part is coping with urges. And the third part is managing uh, thoughts and emotions. And the fourth part is uh, lifestyle changes. So in that third part, they really focus on emotional balance, emotional sobriety, if you will. And a lot of the cognitive behavioral things do deal with the emotions. What What is it emotionally that I find difficult to accept and that then it causes me to think irrationally? So um, I can send you some material, you know, after the podcast, and maybe that'll help you see that part of it. But they, but they really refrain from saying it is a disease, correct? Yes. Oh, definitely. You do not have a disease. You do not need help. This is a self-management. Smart Health stands for self-management right. and recovery training. So you don't need anybody. You don't need to go to meetings for the rest of your life. You don't need a sponsor. It's just almost like the opposite of AA. But for some people, <laughs> it works, whereas AA doesn't work for them. For each individual, it's different. Right. I agree with that. Well, see, that's the whole thing. So I, as I delved more into this whole thing about recovery, I was really focused on 
why are more people not getting, whether it's the 12-step format, whether it's people who believe just in therapy, some people who just believe in smart recovery, some people that just focus on, I just needed to change, you know, just my thinking, you know, it's almost like if they manifest it out. And that's how I developed, and I always tell people, that's how I developed the whole 12 Steps Explained course, this kind of like movement, kind of pushing it out there, because I believe it all needs to be accepted, because we need to be pushed. Because to me, the best thing about 12-step rooms is besides the 12 steps, you know, the beauty in the 12 steps, it's also the, the fellowship. Yes. Where you actually have true friendships and you are no longer alone. I tell people all the time, gamblers are the worst isolators than any other addiction. They yes. are more lonely. And in, in essence, there's a lot of information out there. What kills more people than disease is loneliness. If we would just address the loneliness, and then that's the beauty of the 12 steps. And I also believe is, is and, I, and, I, and I hear you, and I agree with you, when the gambling 12-step rooms, they focus on the, on the clean day. Like, you have to say it, like, before you start talking. And I, 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 most of the time, I don't. It has nothing to do with anything. It's only important to me. It has nothing to do with the other people. And I agree with you. The other thing about the 12-step rooms with alcohol, they believe that, oh, if you just work the 12 steps, like, automatically, you're going to deal with childhood issues, with trauma, with abuse, with all these types of things. And that is incorrect. It's almost as like you get what you pay for. You know, you throw in $1, $2, that's the type of therapy you're going to get back. Sometimes you need to spend some money or spend some time or study to get further along. And, you know, that's why I came out and I tell people, okay, that I have, that's why I said we have to make the steps. More. And the other thing is, is the steps are more negative. They come from a religious context. If you really study the historical aspects of how everything started in the 1930s, it has to be much more positive. And that's why I say, look, the first step, really, instead of worrying about how your life's unmanageable, I, I didn't need the program to tell me that. But what I did want is someone to say, OK, where am I going to? People are going to change if they have something to move towards instead of trying to eliminate. And I say, OK, look, and I push that and I, I say, OK, look. I can coach you. I can give you a course. But let's get into question two. Sure. Tell us about a low point and what was kind of like maybe any low point, whether before you first walked into your first 12-step meeting or kind of in the in the beginning and then what really forced you to change more. Okay. Um, like I mentioned, I joined AA in, in December. Uh, the date was December 12th. So my anniversary is coming up. Uh, Monday, it'll be 32 years. But I would like to take you through the year of 1990. I know you asked for a point, but I'll go for a whole year and just the highlights or lowlights of that year, uh, what what preceded my entry into AA. So um, my wife was pregnant. She was 43 years old, which is kind of poor planning uh, because, you know, women are, are less healthy at that age and the baby might be born uh, disformed. But this was not her first pregnancy, Hugo. This was her 12th pregnancy. This was going to be her 10th live birth. And I had always set a goal for myself of retiring early, like 55. And I was 43 also. And I thought, 43, let's see, when the kid graduates college 22 years later, I'll be 65. Oh, that's that's not good. That's not what I wanted. And I was working for a guy in a big company. 
and he was paying me well. The company was paying me well. And he actually expected me to produce, to measure it with the amount of money I was getting. And I didn't like that. And he was all over my case because I, I always tried to get the most for the, for the least, you know, kind of like a compulsive gambler and uh, at work too. And so he was constantly on me to produce more. And I had been off cigarettes for 14 years at the time, but I decided because I'm only going to work for him for like six months, he's going to leave or I'm going to leave, switch jobs. I'll start smoking again because it was relatively easy to quit in 1974. So I started smoking again. Um, I, I fashioned myself as a market timer. And in my retirement account, my 401k, I was in cash in July of 1990. Well, the Dow Jones Industrial set a new record. It went through 3,000, which is ridiculously low compared to today. But it was a new record then. And I thought, whoops, I'm missing this bull market. So I put all my 401k money into the market. Two weeks later, Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait and the market dropped like a tank. I lost like 20% or more of my retirement account in like two weeks. Now, I didn't actually lose it because I didn't sell, but it was as if I was actually losing it every day when I'd open the newspaper and calculate how many thousands of dollars I lost each day. It was very depressing. I was on the seafood diet, which is, you know, euphemism for saying every all the food I saw I ate. And um, I was using anything, any kind of emotional crutch, you mentioned emotional problems, to just let me get by. And so on December 11th, 1990, a supplier, I worked for the auto industry, an auto supplier took me out to the hockey game, and I proceeded to get drunk because it was free, free booze. And um, anyway, that night I went home, and I was terribly sick. And unfortunately, my wife saw me in my condition when I woke up, I came home. And then the next day, I always went to work, no matter how hungover I was, I'd go to work. And I didn't do any work. I just hung out. When my boss was in the office, I'd go sit in the men's room and smoke cigarettes. And when he went to a meeting, I'd go back to the office and sit there. But I didn't do any work. I just trying to survive the whole day. When I went home that night, I had to face my wife because she didn't say anything the night before. And she said to me, she did not have a frying pan in her hand. She was not angry. She just said to me, I think you might be an alcoholic. And both my parents were alcoholics. I belong to ACOA, um, and I highly recommend that for people who have dysfunctional families. It really addresses some of those underlying issues. But because both my parents were alcoholics and she said, you might be an alcoholic just like that, I thought, she might be right. I might be an alcoholic. So I called my mother up. My mother lived in the next town. She had six years sobriety through AA. My mother never pushed AA on me. And she came around, she picked me up, and she took me to my first meeting. She, in fact, she took me every night for the first week, introducing me to her old crony, saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased now that he's in AA and everything. But um, So that's the backdrop. Uh, for 1990, I don't think I even smiled one time. It was a very depressing, very down. You know, I was just trying to manage my life with all my management tools, which all sucked, really. They were all dysfunctional by that time. They had all turned from pleasure to pain, and nothing was working for me. So that was my emotional bottom, and that's how I came into AA. Oh, okay. Uh, excellent. <laughs> I always say, especially that early part, really our body is going through this major detox. Yeah. Emotional, spiritual, especially also the substances, you are almost got to purge. First, those chemicals out, they kind of takes us in. But that kind of leads us into question three. So is there any step that really kind of excites you? Or maybe there's something in the literature. Maybe there's something that you've read in all these different, since you've been into a multiple of uh, 
programs. I know you've read some gems out there or just something else, like maybe it's the fellowship. Maybe there's a specific home group. Just tell me something that really excites you about about the, the this whole journey that you've been on for 30 plus years. Thank you. And, and I love your questions, by the way. Um, so when you first texted me the questions, I had a step picked out and I'm not going to say what step it was because I just recently, last weekend, as a matter of fact, I went to a, a day of rec- reflection. It's It was sponsored by the Calix Society. Now there's another group that you probably haven't even heard of. It was established in 1949. It's for Catholics who are also alcoholics. Uh, actually, it's for alcoholics who have stopped drinking. We don't sober people up. We ask you to go to AA to sober up. But once you're sobered up, you come to Calix Society basically to work the the last three steps, and especially the spiritual. So anyway, they had a day of uh, reflection last Saturday, and I heard uh, the priest say something that I said, I'm going to steal that from you and use it on Hugo's podcast because it's a wonderful answer to his question. So my favorite step, the step that I think is the most important, Hugo, is the doorstep. (laughs) That's what this priest said. It's the threshold of that first meeting because without me going through that door, and I had a lot of resistance to go through the door. I didn't want to be an AA. I didn't want to be in anything like that. I wanted to solve my problems myself, be self-sufficient and, you know, be smart, like they say, and not need any people. Barbara Streisand, when she, she sings her song, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. I always thought, She's got that backwards. They're they're the losers of the world. I, I'm the luckiest person because I don't need people. You know, all I need is alcohol, gambling, cigarettes, <laughs> overeating, all these substances and activities. I don't need people. Um, but I, I'll stick with that. I think the favorite step, the most important step is the doorstep. When you cross that door and go into your first meeting, and it doesn't even have to be a 12-step meeting. Like you said, it could be SMART. It could be refuge, uh, re- recovery refuge, uh, DAMA. Uh, could be therapy, could be whatever threshold you cross to enter into recovery. That's the most, that's the first step that you take into the recovery world is the most important. And basically you can't recover. In my opinion, you can't recover or it's very difficult to recover without crossing that threshold. And I think maybe that's why a lot of people don't recover. To answer your question, why don't more people recover? Um, It's not really about the threshold, but it's about what you were mentioning about the fourfold aspect of the disease. It is physical. It is mental. Our brains have been changed. It is emotional. It's spiritual. In our case, it's financial for gambling. So there's so many different aspects of it. And we may recover in one aspect, like not gambling and think, okay, one and done. I'm out of here. You know, the job's done, but you've got all those other things that need to be addressed before you can successfully recover for a long term. Right. I, yeah, I enjoy that answer because you can a lot of people say, well, the most important meeting is the second meeting. And I just say, you know, after this much time, they're both so important. You can't get to your second meeting until you go through that first that first meeting. But it's so important is is not to make I've heard so many people make assumptions either about 12 step rooms, about therapy. They already know everything about the program. They know everything. What they're 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 smarter than their therapist. Go. It's amazing how if you're this smart, why did you walk into the door? You, know, <laughs> you have life. If you're winning, you know I'm winning. You know, 
why are you here? (laughs) You're not here to gloat because we can read your body language. Right. I don't know if if you've ever heard of a a AA speaker by the name of Sandy Beach. Have you ever heard of him? He was a famous, Uh, he was a famous circuit speaker. He'd go around to all these AA conferences and everything. Anyway, he's talking about being in a meeting where there's a newcomer and the newcomer had come from a mental hospital or a, a detox or whatever. And after they got towards the end of the meeting, the newcomer raised his hand and said, don't you want to hear what I have to say? And Sandy Beach says, no, we really don't. She says, if you look at your wrist, you've got a wristband. We know you know a lot about drinking and everything, but we also know you don't know anything about recovery. So just shut up and listen. (laughs) That's excellent. (laughs) All right. So here we are. We're coming to the end of our three questions and the end of this episode. So any last word, thought that you'd like to impart on people? Absolutely. And thank you for that opportunity. So um, one of the things that SMART teaches is about relapse. And um, they, the way the example that they like to use is, let's say I'm planning a trip. I'm going to drive from Boston to San Francisco and my car breaks down in Chicago or breaks down or runs out of gas or something happens to interrupt the trip. So what do I do? I put more gas in it or I get it fixed. Now, do I have to go back to Boston to start the trip over again? No, I can start now from Chicago and go to San Francisco. So this business about when we have a relapse in a 12-step program, we have to reset the date to day zero. It really, it's it's not the same as a newcomer coming in. You've, you've gained some experience from it. In fact, SMART doesn't even look at relapse as a bad thing. They look at it as a learning opportunity. What can you learn from this experience? In other words, you, you've obviously had some success because you've been sober 89 days or whatever the number of days is. So we know you can do part of it, but you just came to a roadblock or, or a speed bump in your road. And now you have to discover what was it about that particular situation and learn from that so that you can go on and, and continue to build uh, resilience. Yeah, you're right. And if you want to learn more about relapse, you can go to the my episode of just right before uh, two episodes prior where I did talk about relapse. And I think it's something that we need to really kind of address and to talk about, you know, what is going on. If I could say one more thing about relapse, sorry. Um, I think the word relapse is used way too loosely in recovery. Um, So my wife had colon cancer about five years ago, and she had to go back after the operation at one year and at three years for another colonoscopy. And at five years, she was declared to be cancer-free. In other words, the cancer was in remission. And I like that five-year period. I, I wish that people in recovery would not use the word relapse until or unless they've been abstinent for five years. Before that, you can call it a false start. You can call it anything, a learning experience, but you're not really in remission until you've established a long-term period of abstinence. Uh, correct. Uh, you know, that's so why I just got to, you know, understand is what's kind of going on. I just like, look, ultimately, we're trying to do is live our best life. Right. And we get to, we have to define that and we have to move forward that and we have to find those answers. Because and I also think, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on or a lot of people that talk about, you know, the mental game. And saying that most humans think of 
negative thoughts 80% of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, why to me is another reason why a lot of people relapse. If you keep talking about the last time you gambled, you drank, you drugged, you had sex uh, where, where you shouldn't have had it, you know, you tend to constantly focus uh, on that negative area. I don't discount it. Like I, I rarely talk about it. It's the same thing as like people with multiple years, they still want to talk about a drinking gambling story, you know, because I always say is, is it gets you an easy laugh and someone kind of goes, Oh, you're so cool. And you, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get recovery. Recovery is about moving forward. I'm going to talk about it when I need to talk about it, but I'm living my life differently now. And I'm going to, like I say, man, I'm going to try to make sure my life is wonderful. Me too. And thank you for the title of your podcast and, and your website. <laughs> All right. So that will conclude this episode of lifeiswonderful.love podcast. Until next time. <laughs>